Can everyone hear my voice? Would you like to pray? Can you pray? Oh, sure. What's your first name? Doug. Doug. Okay, friends, uh, this is Doug, and he's going to say a prayer for this morning. Okay. Thank you, God, uh, for just waking us up, for giving us the very life, Father God. And these things that we're talking about have to do with life, Father God. So we ask that you would just uh, be inside every one of us, Father God, and, and just open up those doors sometimes that we close in ourselves, Father God, and also that we would uh, be able to be strong when the enemy comes, Father God, and we just ask that you would give us the words of wisdom through John, I believe his name is. Open up our hearts, Father God, teach us how that you taught us when you were here to love each other, to be kind one unto another. We just offer this for you, and all the praise and glory goes to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Doug. Well, good morning, my friends. Uh, <clears throat> I'm excited about today, and the theme of today's uh, class is the wonder of logos. And uh, does anyone remember what the theme of the class was last week? Time. Okay, so today we're going to be focusing on this notion of logos. In English, what can you see that we get from logos? Logic. And think, keep thinking, all of your academic careers, you studied what? Uh, ologies, like what? Biology. The logical study of bios, or physical life, and you studied sociology, the logical study of society, and you studied psychology, psychology the quasi-logical study, no, just kidding. <laughs> I'm trying to get Dr. Barrett to laugh, but he won't. <laughs> the, the logical study of the human psyche, and so on, and so on, and so on. Okay, logos. So this is all about the notion of, and the wonder of consciousness. And this is something that we take sometimes for granted, but the amazing construct is, is that we're all walking around and we have consciousness and we have what is called sentience. And some days it even appears that we have intelligence. <laughs> right? Humans can do this. We have intelligence. We can think and we interact in a universe that seems to have what? Some sort of patternistic constructs that eventually over time we put together and things seem to fit logically. Have we solved all the problems? Absolutely not. But the point is we're doing what? We're, we're growing in consciousness. And do you know that this is the burning issue in academia today? It's called the problem of the hard problem of consciousness. Consciousness itself, the fact that there are creatures that are conscious, self-conscious, sentient, that are walking around, that came up out of this universe somehow and are now intelligent enough to do what? Reflexively look back on the universe and actually understand the dynamics that caused the universe to come to pass? That's that's amazing. We take it for granted, but it's amazing. How can that be? So, today, philosophers and scientists are struggling with this. How can we explain the notion of a supposedly or seemingly impersonal universe churning, 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 and then it produces creatures that suddenly become self-aware, and then it produces creatures that suddenly start asking questions like what? Why? <laughs> yes, why? Uh, I'm going to give you a quote from Stephen Hawking later today. And he said, the question is, why does the universe bother to exist at all? What's rumbling? Oh. <laughs> I thought maybe the Pentecostal revival had broken out back there or something. Okay, so um, if I was taking this course, 
on your first page of the handout today, I presented you with a beautiful little cheat sheet. You start at the bottom and work upwards, you can think your way through everything that you're going to learn in this course. This is the way I studied. And I mean, you've got to actually read it from the bottom up. So remember the first class, knowing, knowing how selves know? Do you remember that, the five C's? Could you write a little essay on that? I'm trying to get you ready for the final exam. I hope you know there was one in this course. Um, <clears throat> what do you remember from the little story I told you? Where did I come from? What did we learn from that? The five C's? Five S's. Five S's. <laughs> Three ways of knowing five S's? Five ways of knowing. Yeah, it's redundant. I'm sorry. I sometimes am. <laughs> but you understand, right? The five S's, right? Right? Does anybody rem remember the little story I told you about the little girl? What, what's the point of that story? Thank you. Brilliant. And we discovered what? You, you all agreed. It's not, uh, one's not right or wrong, right? We just agreed what? That, that's fine to look, to, to look at things that way. You know, Richard, I think you could turn the sound just, oh, it's that one? <coughs> okay. Now, the, the second week, we studied the cosmos and how selves know and interpret the cosmos. And the core, of course, was uh, we studied Romans 1. Some of you, I think, in consistency with the modern age that we live in, said, uh, I'm not sure that this notion of a cosmos existing is absolutely proof or clearly a demonstration of God's existence. And, of course, that's sort of a good point because the notion of the existence of the universe being used as a proof of God's existence has really fallen out of favor. So what we would rather use it as is sort of like a piece of tantalizing evidence that really gets under our nerves rather than proof, right? Because you're not proving God's existence by the virtue of a cosmos, but when you look at the pattern and ex existence and things like that, the Bible says, hey, that's a legitimate conclusion to draw that somebody made this stuff. So that's what we learned that week. Last week, we talked about time. Did I talk about Dirty Harry and... Uh, Augustine point B do you remember I, we talked about Augustine right well I'm going to use Dirty Harry to illustrate what Augustine was really trying to say do you remember what Dirty Harry said one time make my day make my, okay make my day and the second best one not that one uh, a yes a man has to know his limitations even Clint Eastwood said that what does that mean? I, I, now, let's amend it for the 21st century so that it's fair. Not a man, a person. A, uh, a he, she has to know. That, yeah, a man or a woman. You know, it's my new thing to get away from the gender issue. He, she. Uh, a person has to know their limitations. What is Augustine telling us in that little quote? If you're scientifically literate, if you are scientifically literate, what did Augustine say? Good, go talk. You didn't remember this. Go, good, talk to the scientists. Fine. If you're scientifically illiterate, don't talk to the scientists. Or don't tell, don't tell scientists that they're wrong when you don't know science. And because Augustine said you're going to fall into a big mistake, even if their science is bad, even if their conclusions are wrong, what's going to happen? You'll get in there, start talking about science, and they'll, they'll find out what? This person doesn't know what they're talking about. And then they will conclude that when you start talking about God, they're going to conclude that you're, don't know what you're talking about at that point, too. Okay. Know your limitations. However, grow as far as you can. Today we come to the big one, number four, the logos. <clears throat> the wonder of consciousness, self-consciousness, sentience, and intelligence. Next week we'll do the telos, how selves, and using sacred and science, view the end. And then that, this course ends, but it evolves. 
Didn't you guys drink coffee this morning? I thought that was pretty funny. This course evolves. December 7th, 14th, and 21 into how God uses matter and the spirit to produce cosmic kids. So we'll study spiritual evolution, which is weird to say, but it's true. Okay, that's the course so far. Now, if you could turn to page two, I want to share with you two things that I think are pretty exciting, which kind of explain why we are in the era that we're in. The first graph is a representative of world population statistics done by people in the social sciences and all kinds of other statistical uh, uh, expertises. And these numbers are corroborated, triangulized, they've been verified. They might be off by 10%, but they're very close. So. Let's look at this world population graph, 10,000 BC to 2000 AD. Um, what's the first thing that hits you just off the top of your head looking at the graph? An explosion took place somewhere. So let's talk it through. Now, uh, we're in a Bible class. So let's start with Abraham, born 2165 BC. How many people lived on the earth during Abraham's time? About 50 million. That'd be like, on the whole earth, the total number of people lived from Washington, Oregon, and California. Isn't that crazy? Uh, let's jump forward 2,000 years. Days of Jesus. About 170 million. 170 million, that's approximately what? Half of the United States of America. Okay, uh, the first week we talked about Galileo, but we're also in a Presbyterian church, so who would we want to put up there with Galileo, a contemporary, a famous John Calvin, <laughs> around the 1600s. So when Calvin was noodling through and writing the, the, the Christian Institutes, the Institutes of the Christian Religion, and, Gal and finding out how to go to heaven, and when Galileo was studying a telescope, finding out how the heavens go, how many people were on the earth? about 470 million. That would be about the population of America and Canada together. Wow. Go forward. Um, about the time that uh, Tom Jefferson and Ben Franklin were sampling the fine wines and other things in France, how many people were on the earth? This would be about 1,800. That's when we crested the magic mark of about a billion, 1,800 in the whole world, one, one billion. Now, since I'm a narcissistic little pig, let me use myself as an example. I was born in the midpoint of the 20th century. How many people existed when I came into this world? About 2.5 billion. Now I'm 63. So in 63 years from the time I w came into this world into the present time, how many people are there? 7.5 billion. So we've grown 5 billion people since I came into this world. I don't think there's a causality there. <laughs> it just happened. A statistical coincidence. And if things keep going, we're going to hit... 10 billion people, and that's what causes the futurist to go crazy because it, doesn't, it has not yet been demonstrated unless we have some sort of total radical shift in what it means to be human, whether this planet can sustain 10 billion people at our current consumption of resources. So you can see why futurists are freaking out, right? So let's put it next to the next chart. And you can ask questions or say anything you want at any time. I want you to really get into this with me. This is known as Moore's Law. Anybody into computers here? Ah, Richard, tell us what. Computing power expands. The ability to do computations with transistors expands exponentially at the rate of doubling every two years. The man who founded Intel, whose name is Moore, 
co came up, co-founded Intel, came up with this idea by plotting the transistor growth and computing power over time per dollar, and he discovered it. It's not a law in the sense that somebody passed it. It's an observation in the way things go. Computing power has been doubling every two years since about 1960. You can see the graph. But look at the projection. We are now, in terms of computing power, about at what level? This is crazy. An insect brain in terms of complexity and functions, in terms of the amount of synaptic stuff that's going on in our insect brain, we're about there in terms of our ability to produce computing power. I know that sounds weird, but in terms of electrons sparking and stuff going off in a creature's head. Keep going up the graph. When does it look like we're going to hit all human brains or one human brain? The projection. 2060. Keep going up. Somewhere in the late part of this century, they are predicting what is called the singularity. That would be when computer power grows to such an extent that it begins to eclipse not only individual human brains, but what? All human brains together. The computer will be able to do computations to the level if this two-year doubling of computer power keeps going on. That is what is called in future speak and among these scientists, the singularity. The singularity, it will be when an, a machine made by a human has suddenly done what? Eclipsed the human's power. Hey, there was a famous um, uh, science fiction thing written in the 1800s that predated and predicted this. And we ruined it. Hollywood ruined it, but it was a brilliant book. You remember it? On this theme. Mary Shelley. Frankenstein. We ruined it. And how, what's the story really about? What's Frankenstein really about? It's about uh, one human creating life. Yes. That's, that's a beautiful uh, poetic slice on the whole thing, and it's true. She's also wrestling with what? The this notion of technology and how far is it going to go. Okay, and then we screwed it up by making it into... <coughs> right? That's not what the book was all about. So what happens if we get to the place where we create a machine that is smarter than all of us together? Scary? Uh, hell, 2001 Space Odyssey. What if, it, what if the machine gets to the place where it says, you know, these, these creatures that made us, they are really stupid. We're going to have to take over and run this place. This is an insane asylum. We're going to take over. Oh, of course. This is all, sure. Johnny Depp transcendence yes you are a good guy you saw that this is starting to creep into popular culture this notion that we're going to transcend biology through digital consciousness hey this whole thing these two dynamics working together you can make a formula exponential population growth times what this is the human history. Boom! That's the era that we live in. Plus Moore's Law says what? Exponential computer power every two years. Put these two get together or times them as a synergistic construct and you get what? This is, this is our time. Not Calvin's time. Not Jesus' time. This is the world we live in. What's going on? Staggering increase in people, staggering increase in computer power. What's bound to happen? Think positive. <laughs> staggering increase in what? 
intelligence, in knowledge, in the ability to know things. And it's getting to the place now, I mean, back here, you know, back in Abraham's day, uh, even back in Jesus' day, I mean, people knew uh, just a minuscule amount. Now, with this fantastic growth of population, fantastic growth of knowledge, people know so much more. I'm not saying they're better. I'm just saying we know a lot more now. So the issues have changed. Okay, I'm going to stop there. Uh, what do you think about that? This is the, tw- this is the world you live in. Well, what if it's nice? Well, you know, I don't know if it's going to be nice. We, we've limited ourselves so much when we have those big constructs that we think about. And we've always missed the point, it seems. Uh, yes, I mean, right now, uh, I can see what you're saying. It could, be, it could become a disaster. We could use the knowledge for bad things. We could use it for good things. Anybody else? What do you think about it? Yes, Well, see, that's what the whole thing is. Artificial intelligence, they're not intelligent now in the sense that a human is, and that is they don't have self-consciousness. They're not aware of themselves. That's the wonder and the mystery of this whole thing. You know, it's one thing to have find intelligence embedded in nature or intelligence embedded into a program, but when you get to the place where it transcends just computing power and becomes self-aware, wow. That's what the futurists are, are worried about. Because m- maybe it would turn out to be a self-aware good how that would help the human race get out of our dilemmas. Maybe it'll turn out to be an artificial intelligence that says what? Thank you for bringing me into existence. We'll take it from here, and you guys are done. <laughs> okay, so you're going to see tons of movies on this in the days to come. All right. Anybody else? But if somebody really bad uses that intelligence to conquer and dominate the rest of us. What if somebody bad uses that intelligence, this? Well, we, can, we don't have to be futurists to know this. Uh, 1935, and somebody correct me if I'm wrong, Albert Einstein wrote to, Theodore, uh, to President Roosevelt and said, we have now approached a point in science where we are capable of doing, in layman's term, he explained it to Roosevelt, what? Releasing the inherent energy in atoms. This could lead to devastating weapons. I'm telling you this now because you need to get ready because Einstein knew what? Who else was working on this? The Germans, and whether Americans want to believe it or not, from 1870 to 1930, Germans ruled. Best schools, best science, they dominated. So they're racing, the Germans are racing for what? For new, for th- to crack the secret, and Einstein's over here in America because he left, and, and so then they started racing here in America, and too bad the Germans didn't like Jewish people. Because if they would have kept them, guess what would have happened? Uh, we'd probably be speaking German today because Hitler's plan was to put nuclear weapons on V2 rockets and shoot them into the places where he wanted ex- total annihilation. He would have done that. So, sure. I mean, what are you hearing on the news all the time now about computers? Hacking, hacking, hacking. Oh, yeah, it's getting to be a very dangerous world. Okay, so we don't want to get lost on that. That's just the dynamic of the 21st century. Knowledge is increasing exponentially because people are increasing exponentially. Therefore, we know so much more now than we ever did before that it's getting awkward because how can you keep up with it? How can, we, how can an endi- any one individual keep up with it? There are certain people that are true Renaissance individuals. Can you think of the most famous one at all time? Supposedly the smartest person ever lived. Supposedly had a 250 IQ by psychological ex- uh, uh, estimation. 250 IQ. Michelangelo. I mean, sorry. Leonardo da Vinci. 
He was expert in what? Everything. <laughs> How many people like that come along? Once a, yeah. <laughs> Omnicompetent geniuses are just, you know, like the Jewish people, they, they search and comb through their people for kids that they say are geniuses. They can find them. They find them and then they train them. That's one of their strategies. There's some people that are just geniuses. But for the rest of us, they send us to college and give us a liberal arts education and say, good luck. <laughs> you got a smattering of knowledge. But the knowledge that we really have today is like ridiculous. So turn the page now to page three and I want to show you just, this is, for, I'm leading up to the big point of this class. This is just all preface stuff. So I got a little chart up at the top. You've heard me talk about this before. Pre-modern, modernity, post-modern. Okay, if you argue with my dates, but I'm going to put the modern era as starting around 1500. Now, how do I define the modern era? The modern era is when science begins to be used by a significant mass of people so that it becomes, it becomes a true dominant force in society. And that started happening around 1500. And it grew and grew and grew. Now, postmodern era, it's okay if you even don't even agree with my uh, categories. I put that 1945 on and for good reasons. But now I want to talk about the modern era that we live in on the cusp of the postmodern era with my friends right here as my helpers. Mm. Now, uh, which book would you pick out of this array that resonates best with your field of expertise? If I were what? Which book would you select that best represents your field of expertise? All right, we have a Bible, sorry, Bible, Encyclopedia of World History, uh, Encyclopedia of Psychology, Black's Law, District, uh, Law Dictionary, and a book on pure science, Cosmos. Which, which, which one are you most competent in? Bible, World History, which is social science, psychology, social science, law, or science, pure science? You know, I'll have my best, but I, I would pick you would, you would pick psychology. The only problem is I, I, what I really wanted to do is get a medical book up here, but I'm not a doctor, so I didn't have one. So let's count that. So that would take that one. Okay, then you'd take that. that is medicine, applied science. Yeah, if Jack. I were in church. <laughs> no, no, I mean in terms of your knowledge, you're, you're a, you spent all. Yes, of course you'd take the law. Of course you're a Christian in church. But <laughs> do you know the Bible as well as you know law? No. Thank you. <laughs> You're gonna, you got world history, you got psychology. Which one's Dr. Barrett, Let's yeah, that's, there it is. Dr. Barrett is a psychologist, expert in psychology, social, what is that? What is that field of knowing is what? What is that? Social knowledge, right? Social science. And by default, <laughs> this guy is an amazingly learned scientific mind. So he's our pure scientist. And Pastor Dave didn't come to class. <laughs> Who wants to be the spiritual person? Who, Pam? <laughs> come here. <laughs> no, I can't be in part of this. this I got to be outside of this game. Jim. That's a good choice. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> we want to see you. So we have sacred knowledge. We have social scientific knowledge. We have pure science, knowledge of the cosmos, of, of, of the dynamics that drive the universe. Pure love. <laughs> Law. Applied sciences like medicines, 
truly pure love. <laughs> now, where would you think, where would you put, which person would you put on your chart? Look at your chart now. Pre-modern, modern, post-modern. Who would be your first choice to throw into the pre-modern slot now that you know their levels of knowledge and expertise? Uh, you're going to put the Bible in the pre-modern era, right? So Jim's going to go in pre-modern era. Why? That was before the rise of science. Why? Because that was what people knew back then, right? How many people were on the face of the earth when Jesus walked the earth? 170 million. There were a few Greeks back then that were doing a little bit of science, but wow. People weren't thinking about uh, these kinds of scientific constructs back then. So for the most part, if you were learned, you, 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 a little minuscule, minuscule people, group of people might have known a little bit about science, but the predominant way of knowing things was what? Hey, we're missing one from the table, by the way. You, nobody corrected me. You guys are just lollygagging your way through this class. What are we missing? One of, one of the ways of knowing. <laughs> Come here. Self, self, self. Ricky knows things that no other human being knows. He knows things inside of himself, self-knowledge that no one else knows. Why? Because we all do. Oh, but why is he better? Because it's not because he's better. He just was stupid enough to say the answer to the question, and now he's here. <laughs> so don't answer any more questions, or you're going to be up here. Now. Here's the human enterprise. In the pre-modern era, he reigned and ruled. And this really from, uh, this seriously went on for the majority of human consciousness, the sacred ruled. Then what happened during, again, you can quibble with my dates, shove it to 1600, move it back to 1400, I'm going to put it at about 1500 when something happened. Got people, oh, I can't believe it. How providential. <laughs> come here, John. <laughs> Don't say anything, just come here. <laughs> Take this in your hand and find a chair and sit down. Read it, tell us what it is. Ah, social science. Yeah. Now, don't say anything. No, you sit, sit there. Now. That's what I say to my dog. Now. No, no, no. <laughs> Pure scientist, Galileo, 1600s, trying to figure out what? How the heavens go. Pure sacred. How to go to heaven. And what happened? trying to speak to one another with different levels of knowledge and different languages, what happened? The church goofed. Why, why do you think the church goofed? Because they tried to pretend they were scientists. Okay, the church tried to pretend they were scientists and they tried to impose an interpretation of literature. Inspired, we agree but in interpretation, they imposed on the actual data of science. And what happened? But, but the church had a world view, which was the whole universe was created for man. God put man, male and female, at the center of the universe. And then what did Galileo show us? So how did the church goof? The whole view collapsed. Why did it collapse? Because it seemed to say humans are not as important. For example, 
It's someone who loses a wedding ring and you find it on top of a Bible or you find it in the oh. trash heap. So what? Why not? Why does it matter? But we were so committed, we church, to the position that humans are what's important that we had to be at the center of everything. Okay, and so then they made what? An interpretive error and big problem. So then came the rise further on of people like Dr. Barrett, who became experts in, uh, rather than saying, well, science says humans aren't important, you guys went out and did what? The psychologist and, where does, where's my, do we have a sociologist here? Uh, well, you could pretend one's here. What did you guys do? Yeah, you imply, um, employed the empirical approach, the scientific approach to humans. So it's not like science said humans aren't important. They just said what? Instead of completely confining our views to what one book says about humans, we're going to discover what? Scientifically, everything we can about humans. Now, when all this knowledge started flooding into the world from all these disciplines, what happened? This, and this has happened pretty much from about 1800 on when the human population really started to explode and in the 20th century exacerbated by this entire leap in knowledge, what happened to this table? Because what they were supposed to do, if you're a Christian, if you're a theist, if you believe in God, what were all these people supposed to do? All truth is God's truth. They were supposed to learn each other's languages, take their conclusions, bring them over here, and help all of us do what? Evaluate, evaluate weigh, assay, throw the, the false stuff out, and keep the truth, and keep all of our knowledge perfectly balanced, leading to God. All truth is God's truth. How come it didn't work out? That's one dynamic. Everybody is so drilled into their own way of knowing that they can't even hear the legitimate things that other people know. Does this make sense? And it's getting worse and worse and worse in the 20th century because what, what he knows about human psychology compared to what I know is ridiculous. He knows so much more. I am... Uh, Obligated to do what? If I want to understand the human psyche, I, I, in this day and a, I, I, I age, I have to at least do what? I, I can't just take my total knowledge from just one source. I've got to go talk to Dr. Barrett and find out what has been learned about the human psyche. I've got to go talk to Jim about what have we learned about the cosmos. I want to understand this whole notion of law, which is really predicated on some sort of ethical, moral, Right and wrong. Where did that come from? How do we understand that? I want to follow, follow up. What? Curve. Well, we, if things keep going, yes, that's the way it's going to get more and more. You're not even going to be able to understand somebody that's an expert in one field. So then we're going to have those people are so. It's like trying to listen to Einstein talk. What happens when we listen to him? So then you have to have somebody, not Einstein, but somebody else, who? You've got to have some... Dumb it down for Yeah, make it accessible sounds better. <laughs> <laughs> you have to have accessibility experts that come and show you what this conversation among the human race is really going on and then how it all applies over here. Wow, this is a big enterprise. See, see what an exciting time that we're living in? By the way, if anybody here thinks they have the gift of evangelism, what did you discover today? This is the best time ever to live as a human. Why? There's so many people to reach. Now, I would never minimize the horrors of this last century that we lived through, the 20th century. More people killed in war in the 20th century than ever, ever before, about 100 million. But just think about it. In the 20th century, 
evil wasted 100 million people needlessly in war. And in that period of time, in the 20th century, how many people came into existence? Approximately 5 billion. So you see, God is making all these humans or allowing all these humans to come into existence at the very time that what's happening? That our knowledge is exponentially growing. So this is, you can look at it as, oh, it's terrible, it's terrible. But you could look at it also as what? This is the best time to be alive because if we can, as believers, if we can learn how to do this conversation in the 21st century, we could potentially do what? reach so many more people than Paul could ever have thought of. Exciting, right? Yes. We're doing, we're starting to do a little bit better. But just, just so that we can anchor this in our head, is there any inherent conflict or should there be any inherent conflict in people at this table having a conversation? No. So that's one thing I hope that we learn, that there's not an inherent contradiction. It could be that when... Mr. Sacred gets into a hardcore conversation with Mr. Science, they may get to a certain point where they don't understand each other or they don't totally agree with one another, but they can at least do what? You can communicate. You can agree that you're pursuing for the truth. You don't have to be enemies. Yes? Yes, that's a good point. I mean, um, the whole principle of law, Jewish rabbinic studies, uh, studying Bible with Jews who do what they call talking Torah, it's an ongoing dialogue, Jack, right, argument. Not argument in the sense of bad argument, argument in the sense of we're going to take each these propositions and we're going to pound on them until we find out which one's most likely true. That's the principle of law, that's how people find truth, and if you really want to find the truth, it's okay, but if you're scared or you have a, an agenda, you want to sneak into this table and throw everything up. So what's happened in the 20, 20, 21st century is these people who have their book are trying to use what those people call as cheap science, false science, to do what? Pro undermine, undermine objectivity. Uh, undermine scientific ob objectivity. Now, one of the, I mean, I'm sorry to say it, but the, the the classic legal case on this happened right in Pennsylvania. Kitzmiller versus Dover. Do you remember this case? When artificial intelligence or uh, ID, um, intelligent design was put on trial. Do you remember this? Dover, Pennsylvania. Jack, you remember, right? 2006. They, they brought the leading experts of intelligent design and they argued their case of why intelligent design should be taught in the public schools as a scientific construct. And then they brought in other scientists and talked about, well, is intelligent design really science? And in the end of the story, Judge John Paul Jones said what? Intelligent design is not science. It's been shown not to be science. It's a philosophy masquerading as science. You're trying to teach something that no scientist in the world is willing to sign off on. And what happened? The whole the whole movement just went boom. That happened right just now when, when these people well-meaningly tried to use what they thought was science to prove those people wrong. <coughs> what year was that case? 2006. Yes, sir. That just happened this week in the Texas Board of Education where they tried to, the Texas Board of Education, which is an elected political official, uh, elected to uh, eliminate much of the science from the textbooks. And those textbooks will become nationwide because Texas is such as, a... As Texas goes, as Texas and California go in textbooks, that's the way the rest of the country goes. So, what am I saying now? I, br I brought you to a conclusion. Here's the dilemma. And now I want to take us into the last part of the class. On page four. So when we get to this whole issue that we're talking about today, we're still left with this dilemma. <laughs> 
where did all this intelligence come from? Where did all this logos come from that we find ever increasingly exponentially? If we weren't finding anything, you know, we wouldn't be in this situation. So we have model one and model two. And model one, you know very well. I put the text there for you, and let's read it together. In the yes. Yeah, of course. Before we go on. Sure, yeah. The, why did, did you pick 1945 because now we can destroy ourselves? Yeah, the reason I picked 1945 is the entrance into the postmodern era is two reasons. One, science, which prior to that was really doing like, I mean, it, science was growing logarithmically too, and it was, when we entered the 20th century, the, the idea was what? Science is going to do what? bring us into the wonders of the modern age. And at the midpoint of the 20th century, just as science was reaching its zenith, we used it to do what? And it freaked everybody out. We can, we can blow ourselves up. The other thing that happened around that time was the invention of psychedelic drugs. And you might not think that's a big deal, but the United States government used LSD from 1947 to about 1960 in a wide array of experiments on thousands and thousands and thousands of people in the United States of America, and in point of fact, they were the ones responsible for leaking it out. It was a program called MKUltra. They did a sociological experiment on my generation. They released psychedelics into our culture, and guess what? We took them, and then what happened? We liked them, <laughs> and then they said, you can't do that, and that's where, we, but that changed everything. Why? Because when you get into the third era, the postmodern era, we had science in the modern era. We had the sacred back here. What happened when we threw off a nuclear explosion and then threw right into the mix stuff like LSD? What happened in this time? People just went, <laughs> like, what am I going to trust? Science? Uh, we're going to kill each other. Does, and then when you start taking stuff like that, uh, you, can, you, you come up with all kinds of different worldviews, and guess what ascended then? Not sacred, not science. Guess what's in ascension now? This self has become the arbitrator of truth. It's what you think. Hey, think of all the phrases that you can think of in your head right now that we use every day for that kind of stuff. Well, whatever, or, true for you, that it, it, that's, is that true for you? That's cool. Or, if it feels good, do it. Uh, that reminds me, uh, who's that uh, chica with the, um, he used to be married to the biker, the, the riding biker. Uh, Cheryl Crow. What's her famous line? If it makes you happy, I can't say the second half in church. Why are you so sad? Yeah, we'll amend it. And then why are you so sad? You have to get the record. If it makes you happy, why don't... These are all reflections of what? That humans have now taken unto themselves the authority to determine what's going to be true for them. So, Dr. Smith, does that make sense? That's why I put it there. Oh, I'm not saying that it's making good. I'm, I, I'm saying it just happened. Evil thoughts, evil that they, that they come out with too much of the time. I, oh, I'm sorry. Thank you for apolog or helping me. I apologize if I was making an affirmative statement about this. I'm making a descriptive statement. It happened. That's it. And it's had such an expansive effect on our society that we've become psychedelicized. Now, you think it's a disaster, and I do in a lot of ways, too. But the point is, it caused this to ascend. Does that make sense? Yeah. Now, <laughs> I messed up my board. <laughs> Dr. Smith. <laughs> and now it's really messed up. Okay. <laughs> Model number one. How do we explain the fact that the universe has produced creatures not just with 
reactive sensation like animals. But creatures that do what? That think, but also think about what? Ourselves. We have self-consciousness. And we're also capable of thinking about what? Stuff like God. How do you explain that? So model number one is right from the Bible, John chapter one. It's on the page there. In the beginning was the... We translate it word. In Greek, it's logos. In the beginning was the logos, and the logos was with God, and the logos was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by the logos, and without the logos was not anything made that has been made. So now we find this interesting picture. We've got God, John is referencing God in the beginning. He's using Genesis, speaking to Jewish people, and then he goes out and tries to speak to Greeks. In the beginning, that's right from the beginning of the Bible, was the what? And he uses this word, logos, and of course this was a major preoccupation among the Greeks for a long time. Heraclitus, 500 years B.C., was talking about the logos because he was discovering what? Patterns or logic, where? In, in nature. Things had a pattern. Things had logic. Things could be made sense of. So he projected out that there must be some embedded intelligence inside of nature that causes these patterns to emerge. Later on, after uh, Heraclitus, <coughs> the Stoics came about, and they really got into it. Their centerpiece was that the Logos was the animating principle of the universe, the animating intelligence of the universe, and that if you followed their teachings, you could get your life aligned in order with the Logos, and then the intelligence of the universe, not a person, not a person, just the pattern of the universe, you could learn how to, uh, just like we did in the 60s, go, go with the flow. You could learn how to live in the flow of the Logos. Does this remind you of anything that's been taught to you in the 20th century? What? Well, not Hitler. Uh, I mean, yeah, maybe. No, a movie, uh, a big movie. Yes! What's the, what's the driving dyna dynamism of the Star Wars saga? The Force. the Force. Now, if I wrote a Bible today, if I gave you the John David Guybe translation of the Greek New Testament and I translated it, in the beginning was the Force. And the Force was with God. And the Force was God. All things were made by the Force, and without the Force was not anything made. And then I drop down to verse 14. Go down there with me. And the force became flesh. What would you like? Would you like this translation? What would you think if I did it and gave it out to teens? Would you like it? And tell the millions and millions and millions of people that George Lucas taught that the universe is really being driven by an impersonal force and teach them rather, ah, what you call an impersonal force, guess what? Behind that, there is what? Behind the force, there's a, a person. The pattern that you keep talking about points you to what? A person. Would you like that translation? A lot of people would hate it. If I were 12. If you were 12. <laughs> okay. Well, you see what John did, though. He stole a construct now he didn't steal. Borrowed. Borrowed. Did he plagiarize? <laughs> he took something that was in current cultural vogue that represented something, the intelligence of the universe, and he said, now you think it's impersonal? I want to suggest to you what? That it is personal. Now, let's look at model two. And this, I'm sorry, I have to read to you a little bit. And today, because of time, I'll have to tell you to look something up. Today at halftime, <laughs> instead of listening to the talking heads, Google the anthropic principle. Anthropic. You can see anthropos. It means the human principle. And what is it in short? It's the hottest thing in science and theology. It's the notion that it 
looks so compelling that the universe was created or designed in such a way that it produced human life. It cannot be otherwise looked at because the things that had to happen just to produce a creature like me are so amazing that if any one little tiny thing got changed anywhere along the line all the way back to the Big Bang, there would be no us today having this conversation. Now, I wish you'd look it up because I'm running out of time. I can't tell you all of it. But just something like this. Jim, you know this. Oxygen comprises 21% of the atmosphere. If it were 25%, fires would erupt. If it was 15%, human beings would suffocate. So it comes to pass that we have what? Exactly the right amount of oxygen. There's about 20 of these here. Do you want to stay until noon and I'll read them all? Um, listen to this. If the universe was expanding at a rate one millionth more slowly than it is, one millionth, the temperature on Earth would be 10,000 degrees. And it goes on and on and on and on and on. These are scientific facts. So what, what the anthropic principle is, is to produce creatures like humans, you had to have a complex, staggering away array beyond computation set of things happen. And if any one of those things had ever been different at any stage of the 13.7 billion years of the universe, if you want to look at it that way, if it had been just a little bit different, guess what? We wouldn't be here. And so, no, wait, wait one second. So, I don't have time to read the quote to you. But Stephen Hawking, who, you know him, right? The, now, Stephen Hawking's a genius. Gotta have a 200 IQ. He sits in Isaac Newton's chair in Cambridge. Staggeringly in intellect. And even more, more impressive is, he's got that crippling physical disease. And he still has kept his, his mind, his logos. And what does he say when he looks at this? I'm going to read it to you. <laughs> it's just amazing. There may be only a small number of laws which are self-consistent and which lead to complicated beings like ourselves who can ask the question, what is the nature of God? And even if there is only one unique set of possible laws, it is only a set of equations. What is it that breathes fire into the equations and makes a universe for them to govern? What sparked it? Although science may solve the problem of how the universe began, it cannot answer the question, why does the universe bother to exist? I don't know the answer to that, Hawking said. And good for him, because why? Pure scientists never say what? We, we can never discount God. You, you can't ever say that God doesn't exist. Hawking is sitting here looking at this, this universe that seems planned, fine-tuned. Everything's working out so that creatures like us can emerge and Hawking says, I mean, I know enough to tell you that it's, it's working, and I know some of the laws that govern it, but I can't tell you what. Why? This is the anthropic principle. Now study it, because it's very important for the 20th. It's not a proof. God brings us to the place where we look at the universe and we say, in the end, none of us are smart enough to figure it all out, so we say, does it look like the universe is infused with intelligence and created creatures like you and me that can ask these questions? Or is it more plausible to believe that the universe just is, and then by random chance, computations over long periods of time that seem to be exquisitely tuned to produce creatures like us that can ask numb numbing questions on Sunday morning like <laughs> why <laughs> and it just happened that's the anthropic principle John the, the scientists everything is experiment and try this and try that so with that oxygen business for example we would destroy ourselves how many times before we would have hit the 23% oxygen or whatever it's supposed to be that's the point and that's just like one of like I mean, so many factors that had to be 
there present at the very instant of the Big Bang to produce creatures like us, it gets ridiculous at a point. Now, it's not a proof. What is it? It's just a circumstance and that you and I then have to look at these circumstances and say, what do you think the best solution is? You've got to put them on the scales and come up. The universe created by an intelligent person, God, universe just happens to have a pattern that looks like it's intelligently designed and it just looks like we got produced by random chance with the brains to figure out that the universe is really randomly designed. <laughs> right? Did you get that? Okay. God bless you. Have a great day. Oh. <laughs>